This podcast is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. Contact them at gettoasted at toastedmarshmallowadventures.com for all of your podcast production needs. Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo. Well, hello and good morning and welcome to our show. It's Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with hashtag Princess Amy and Mo. And this morning, Mo is going to do our introduction of our guest speaker today. Go ahead, Mo. Thank you for joining us. I am so happy to be here. I uh, We've had two weeks off because life happens. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you that in those two weeks, it's, it's been rough because Amy and I have been wanting to get in here, but we both got sick um, on my birthday, which is which was awful. The worst day to get sick. <laughs> and I had yes. the worst tooth pain that I can't stop talking about. <laughs> so it was awful, but uh, we're ready to get back on. Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo. Our next speaker, a Boise native, is a clinical psychologist, second destiny examiner for the state of Idaho, and adjunct professor at Boise State University. Author and creator of multiple resources to help build resiliency within many rural communities. His devotion to reduce human suffering through effective, accessible, and cost-effective methods have taken him throughout the world. Today, he brings his knowledge, his struggles, and resources to our podcast. Help me welcome Dr. Ryan Holberg. Well, thank you so much for having me. As I anticipated this, I thought I might share with you just a little bit of my background. I was born and raised here in Boise, and as a teenager, had intense interest in animals, had a red-tailed hawk as an amateur falconer and a pet raccoon and had my own little pet store in my bedroom where I would sell pollywogs and lizards and things to neighborhood kids. <laughs> anyway, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian or a, a forest ranger or something and uh, graduated from Capitol High here in town. And I went to one year at Brigham Young University, and then went on a two-year religious mission to Belgium, where I spoke Dutch in the northern part of Belgium. And there I just became intensely interested to uh, work with people. It was kind of a turning point in my life. But when I came back and I got married and was continuing my schooling in zoology, still thinking that I was going into some kind of animal-oriented uh, type of uh, profession. Like you could like work in a safari in another <laughs> country. Or a zoo. Why, is that, why does that sound really exciting? Because, what? Zoology, <laughs> safari, yeah, vacation. It, it's adventurous. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I was able to, uh, well, I switched over into psychology as my major emphasis when I learned that psychology also studied animals along with people. And after graduation, realized that to go further, I needed to get a doctorate. And my first year applying for school, I didn't, I wasn't successful. I hadn't done a lot of the things that are required, like uh, doing some research, getting close relationships with faculty and so forth. So I got the best job I could as a alcoholism counselor. 
This was back in 1980 when you didn't have to have a specific training as an alcoholism counselor. And that was just a beautiful uh, foundation for my career because it was a 12-step oriented program that uh, allowed you to focus on the whole body, mind, and spirit of the person. So then when I was successful the next year to go to Lincoln, Nebraska for my doctorate, I already had this foundation of believing that you could use the whole person in their healing process. And in that, uh, I took a long time for my doctorate, which I'll tell you about as we go, but uh, the emphasis for the program there in Lincoln, Nebraska was clinical psychology, which focuses on training you to be prepared with the most difficult of types of mental disorders for prisons or state hospitals or whatever. What are the most difficult mental health? <laughs> this is, I mean, I want to know because I feel like they're all hard. Listen, this is part of Dr. Horbrook too, because, it, you know, working in, in inpatient psychiatric, right? It, it, this is not the stuff that they're trained for, right? They're trained for medicine. Correct. Versus really, really, like you said, understanding the human being, like, holy. Like, it's not just, all right, I hear what you're saying and the symptoms and here's medication. It is, wait a minute, let's, let's, let's take a- Dissect the yeah. whole human. So, sorry. So, <laughs> so, okay, top two, like, if, off the top of your head, what's the hardest, like, mental health disorders that you've, that you face or that come to your mind? Well, naturally, uh, the more psychotic disorders, schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder and so forth are some of the most challenging, but uh, also people who have deep-seated personality difficulties where they may be uh, antisocial and otherwise, uh, you know, not uh, very uh, other orient people-oriented, more focused on themselves pathologically. Wow. Did you find yourself, when you go into this clinical program, did you find yourself just kind of like whew, diagnosing yourself more than anything? <laughs> I think I think I would have done maybe, it, right? Maybe it's like, I belong oh here. God, it is like, yeah. Part of the trouble was also uh, a big emphasis in clinical psychology is psychological testing. And so you needed to practice all these tests. And so my wife became the natural. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Willingly? Examine. Did she come willingly? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. And, uh, but anyway, it had two subspecialties. One was alcoholism treatment. And another one was rural community mental health. And I didn't really know what that meant, but... I was from Idaho, so it sounded good, you know. Yeah, oh, Idaho is rural, so That's why right. not? <laughs> exactly. But it has to do with not, whereas clinical psychology is more of a reactive enterprise where you're waiting for things to happen and then treat them and diagnose them and test them and so forth, community psychology is a proactive preventive endeavor. And so it taught me how to use a whole rural community or county to identify all the resources and build on those strengths to try to prevent these problems from happening. Wow. How, how is that possible in a yes. rural community? Like, I mean, I mean, because obviously the word rural itself implies that you're thousands of miles away from anything, right? Like, that's why we don't have an Ikea here. That's why we don't have certain mm -hmm. things because we're rural. And Or behind or something like. Yeah, because so when you talk about rural, like... How how do you say something in that sense 
when you hypothetically Middleton Emmett like resources are very very hard to get to. I think I can best answer that as the story unfolds, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, sorry. I'm getting <laughs> no, held myself. No, sorry. no problem. We're too excited. Ex- excellent question. So anyway, there's, it's hard to find jobs in prevention. And so my 40-year career of helping people has been on the deep end. You know, it's, uh, I was with juvenile corrections for eight years from 2001 to 2009. I've worked in prisons in the state mental institutions and so forth. <clears throat> but all the while doing that, developing prevention, resiliency building type of resources, books and games and things, all hoping that someday I could utilize those in a more systematic way to really reduce problems. Okay. And uh, that's going to come into play here as my story unfolds. Oh, I'm excited to hear this. No, I, I think I'm like yeah. trying to put it all together. Yeah. So you're putting these things out here because you already can foresee the problems. So you're trying to like put things together so that they can just skip over. Well, we'll let the him mess. finish. Okay, okay, okay. Finish. <laughs> okay. Or let him start. <laughs> so now, now we're in uh, 1986. And I'm several years into graduate school, and I have uh, become aware of a research fellowship to do my dissertation over in Belgium, where I'd been a missionary. This is now 10 years later, and I thought that would be a dream to take my family there and for a whole year. However, the main criteria for it, main requirement, was to find a professor in Belgium who really had similar research interests. And... uh, I did my master's thesis on the therapeutic effects of interacting with a dog. And anyway, nobody had interest in that (laughs) in terms of a doctoral dissertation. But uh, I was studying for my comprehensive exams and was told by the professors that uh, I shouldn't try to get down into the details, but look at the broad themes that I'd been learning and so forth. So one Saturday, I was in the basement of the psychology building studying and I took a break and I had what I can best describe as a peak experience or a epiphany like an aha moment uh, aha, there you go aha week actually Great. but uh, I pictured myself like in a movie with smoke coming out of my ears and stuff you know I just sat there as these different patterns began to uh, form in my mind. I was jotting notes and drawing pictures and things. It seemed as if everything I'd ever learned in school, in my home, in my faith, it all kind of come together in a in a set of principles. And it changed me. I For about a week after, I was just full of love. I just was, as I'd walk by trees, I'd touch the leaves. And I just was just so involved with uh, nature and uh, feeling so much less self-conscious than I had a tendency to be. And it was so obvious that my professors had noticed it. I was much more open in class, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, one of them, the community psychology professor, said, I'm going to help into his office and gave me an envelope. He said, this is your comprehensive exam. It's unusual. It's going to be a take-home. I want you to write up these things that you have experienced 
in terms of how this could impact individuals, families, and communities. And so it was a tremendous blessing. This, uh, those things that I experienced might still just be in a file of sketches if he hadn't forced me basically to really put them down on paper. And so I entitled it Connectedness Theory. I like that. And uh, it has, it's a you know, fairly simple little article. It's available on my website, if I could indicate what that is. What's the website? It's called driversedfortheBrain.com. Oh, yeah, and under articles, one of the first ones you'll see is Connectedness Theory. It's only about 10 pages long. But anyway, it has to do with how we, one of the principles is we're very benefited as we connect with various realms of life. The most basic, you know, even the physical, just connecting with the dirt and then connecting with animals, plants, your family, your neighborhood, your community, your nation. And one of the most intriguing aspects of it for me was how our past and our present and our anticipated future also contribute to our well-being, something I'd never really considered. And so <clears throat> I felt super prepared now for my comprehensive exams. And I thought, I wonder, this is about the same time I was trying to find that professor over in Belgium. Mm -hmm. I said, I wonder if this has anything to do with going to Belgium. So I looked through the note or the little booklet of professors and their interests and my eyes fell upon one that said, University of Louvain, Center for Research, or Center for Motivation and Time Perspective. And it said, we are studying how your view of your past, your present, and your anticipated future contribute to your motivation and your well-being. And I was intensely interested in that now. Right. And so yeah. I got on, I was able to reach the professor who was interested to have me come over and one thing led to another. I passed my exams and went off to Belgium for a year where uh, my wife and at that time three little boys just had a marvelous adventure. Wow. And uh, basically all the things I've written since that time I can tie back to that connectedness to theory. The one. So as I'm listening to, to <clears throat> your story, I, I guess because we work in the field. Mm -hmm. If you were to say something like that at a, at a psychiatric hospital, they would say, oh, my gosh, this guy had a He's psychotic crazy. break. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. Because it sounds just either he was on, on some kind of hallucinogenic <laughs> because what you're talking about doesn't match the medical model. Mm -hmm. Right? You're outside of that. But what I tell people is if you act crazy within the medical model, you're going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. And for for what you're saying is, is you just had an like I've heard s similar things mm -hmm. with psychotic patients. Like I had this thing, right? Like mm -hmm. this epiphany, this thing where I was able to see. And, and, and some of the things that you're saying, like I've, I've heard before. Right. Um, how do you know, honestly, that it <laughs> wasn't a psychotic break? Like how, how were you able to look back now and say, wow, like. Like that was a natural part of mm -hmm. of life without without being that. Right. Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I attributed it to a uh, spiritual experience, especially 
as uh, confirmation came that, wow, this led to my dissertation, which led to, you know, uh, my first job. And as things have unfolded, it became a philosophy of living that uh, has paid off and has not led to a stress-free life or a problem-free life. I've had, for example, two major episodes of depression in my life where, interestingly enough, during that time, the things I'd written and connectedness theory and so forth, I just thought it was all such a fantasy and uh, overly Pollyannish and so forth. Mm -hmm. But as I've uh, come out of it, out of those tough times, I recognize that this is a very similar to many people when they're down, they don't remember, they don't experience life the same as they were when they were up. But it's my firm belief, and it's sprinkled through all that I do, that when you're feeling up in a healthy way and at peace, that's when you're actually seeing life more clearly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I agree with that. And you're able to see and connect the dots. Like you keep saying connect. And to me, when I when I talk about EMDR or talk about trauma is as a human being, it's when you connect the, the dots that there's that aha moment. Like, wow. And sometimes we're going through rough times throughout life and people get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Media, right? Like, ah, no, you're not going to do it. You fail a test. You can't pass your licensing exam, right? You don't get accepted into school and, and people get like depressed like they get i don't know they get down so but, but if you keep moving forward pushing through one day you're going to understand you needed to fail at that one thing to be where you're at and, and and when i hear your story is is that that's that component is the the ability up into that life and you were able to say there it is right this moment in my life was the not deciding but the one that allowed you to feel comfortable enough to be like everything that I have learned, let's go. Like kind of like just put it to work. Okay. Right. So you have this, it's called the connected theory. Connectedness theory. Connectedness. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so now that you've used this theory, have you like, tell me how you've kind of like implemented it or put it out into the world and have it make sense to people. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, I'll try to answer that through the books and projects that have evolved out of that. Okay. After I came back from that marvelous experience, that's one of the depressions I had <laughs> when I was working in the prison out in Nebraska. So coming back from Belgium, mm -hmm. you went to Nebraska. I had one more year of Nebraska where oh, okay. I, uh, I was doing an internship in a prison. And, okay. And uh, the contrast of the peace and... Uh, creativity I experienced on that one-year fellowship. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with being in a medium security prison working with people with sexual offenses and so forth. And Anyway, it uh, took a toll on me, but thank goodness uh, I was able to bounce back in, term, in time to go on an internship to Tucson at the VA. Yeah, 5-2-0. That's right. So after that, my first job was at a state hospital in Iowa, big castle-like uh, ancient like TV looking. media looking like? Oh, yeah, it was cool. And uh, <laughs> so while there, I met a psychiatrist who had come from Florida with a new positive psychology type of approach. It's now known as the three principles, if people want to Google that. But it has to do with a belief that 
there's innate health in each person. That health can become crimped. That when it's crimped, it hurts. And there's ways to uncrimp it to let that health flourish. So anyway, that was intriguing to me. I, I uh, became a student of that. And I combined the time perspective research with the three principles notions. And it resulted in my first book called The Sun is Always Shining. The subtitle is Renewing Your Heart and Your Mind Through the Light of Christ. It was a Christian-focused book. And uh, then later, coming back to Idaho to be closer to family, while with juvenile corrections, I couldn't use a Christian-oriented book as a state employee. Yeah. And so I rewrote the book in a storyline fun format called Driver's Ed for the Brain. For teenagers and above. I do too. And uh, that's the one thing that really caught uh, my attention when I was looking through your uh, YouTube video. It became the most uh, popular of the things I've written. Um, about five years ago, I had uh, been, I was conducting a social security interview with an Iraqi refugee, middle aged woman. And she was uh, in a really tough place. Her she couldn't ever go out of her apartment. The kids had to take her hands in her face and say, Mama, listen to me. And So anyway, after the interview, which was translated by a former uh, physician from Iraq, he said to me, I'd love to know more what you told her at the end there about quieting her mind. And I said, well, I've gotten this little manuscript called Driver's Ed for the Brain. And a week later, he called me and said, I've been in the war in Iraq and this has really been helpful for me. Can I translate it into Arabic for you? Wow. I said, wow, I'd love it. And I, he didn't want to be paid, but I eventually paid him for that. And he had a friend who was a psychiatrist from Russia, female, and she read it and she said, I'd like to translate this into Russian for you. And so I paid So life her, is just happening at that moment. Paid her for that. And uh, anyway, prisoners at the prison have put it into Braille for me. and. It's in Hindi, Mandarin Chinese, German, Afrikaans, Spanish. Uh, I'm trying to get it into all the languages, including those where we have enemies. So I'm focusing now on Korean and Farsi for oh, Iran. Wow. <laughs> it's subtitles. He's just fine. trying to sneak it in there with the Bible. It's subtitle is Finding Greater Peace and Joy. And so I'm trying to electronically send it uh, as far as I can to help people experience that more. So what what what's in the book? Like what what was the end the, the the thing that you talked to this this woman about? Like what was it? What was the tell me what that was. Okay, you have to read uh, the book. Uh, I mean No, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been put into audio form, also uh, audio book and, and an online course that people can try free of charge. If you go to my website, driversedforthebrain.com click on the upper right-hand portion where it says Learning Center. We've created an online course platform. And the first one is Driver's Ed for the Brain. It has six little chapters plus videos between each chapter and some homework assignments. But I'll give you just a little taste of it. Yeah, to... give me, what, like, how do I do that when you, before you Cha see a movie? Yeah. The chapter... trailer, I need the trailer. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the, uh, chapter three has to do with the ro understanding the road and I know the listeners won't be able to see it, but uh, this is the most popular diagram where it shows the road is the present, 
Our body's always in the present. It can't go anywhere. But our mind is a slippery thing. It can go toward the rocky past or the uncertain future. And the rumble strips alongside the road, which are purposely irritating to get your attention, are, if we're going toward the past, different levels of anger. And if we're going toward the future, different levels of anxiety, all warning us to come back and be connected with our body and our mind. The here and the now. That's right, yeah. It's the only place where we can fully be... What they, what they call that refiner's fire, <laughs> in another sense. <laughs> but, you know, some of the things that you're saying is things that I, I I say, but because it's coming from Mo, like, well, who is Mo, right? So I'm so glad you said that because a lot of times I tell people is, listen, you don't like being bored because you're thinking about the past or the future, which creates anxiety, and anxiety leads to relapse. That's why you guys don't like being bored, right? And it's just and, and what you're saying is, is, is so true. Um, I like that you go left and right. I go front and back like i go back and forth right so i like that you actually go the other way around it gives me a different perspective well, and, yeah and then the visual of it the rumbling because yes. <laughs> we've all we've all felt that yeah right. yeah i mean yeah I'm driving down the road <laughs> and like, so simple yeah. little exercises like when you do feel even though anger and anxiety are both rumbly even younger children can recognize i'm feeling angry or i'm feeling anxious now and if you test that out you'll find that when you're anxious, it is getting ahead of yourself to the future. And when you're angry, you're dwelling on things that you've done that you wish you hadn't, you're angry yeah. at yourself or at other people. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of other uh, ramifications to that, but that's one of the ch six chapters of the book. So one of the first times that I heard about this book was one of my colleagues, um, who at the time was one of the interns and, and and you know i don't know i don't think you've said this but you were you are you a professor right yes yeah for the last five years i've taught adolescent and emerging adulthood at bsu okay yeah and i remember you know because i work with you and somebody said something like are you talking about the same dr holberg you know and they're like yeah like he has this this book and it's just super interesting. So that's one of the first times that I'm like, okay, this Dr. Holbrook is not just a psychologist uh, who comes in and, you know, and does his thing. Uh, so that's when I actually started, you know, looking you up and, and hear more about you. And the more I heard about you. Mo talks about you all the time. He's like, no, we really got to get this guy. He's really good. I'm like, okay, just call him. Tell him yeah. to come. Let's meet him. He sounds so, great. Yeah. So I think, you know, the more the more I looked into it, the more life kind of brought, brought, brought you to us because... It's laws of attraction, right? You, you kind of look for something, it's, it's, it's going to come find you. Well, we work with, so I work with adolescents um, between ages of 12 and 17. And a lot of them come resistant to treatment, but they clearly need help. And some of these people um, come and they do want help. But I feel like I sometimes I want to beat my head against the wall because I don't really know how to answer all their questions or how to be more helpful because I... I just don't have those resources and I wasn't taught like a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, we kind of find ourselves. Yeah. And so. One of the things that did interest me is that it's, you said it was preventative, right? Yes. A lot of things that you do. What is the difference between being preventative and activating something that is not an issue? Does that, Can you explain what you so mean? So for example, so, you know, you know, in, in one of your videos, you talked about, you know, teaching and uh, 
doing this study or book at a high school level, right? For them to build resiliency to not become an alcoholic. If they're not an alcoholic and you try to teach him how not to be an alcoholic, sometimes you actually end up doing the opposite by saying you're hyper-focusing on something that is not an issue, but now it kind of becomes an issue, right? And does that make sense? Yes, certainly. uh, As I've wrestled with those type of things, other books have emerged kind of in my own self-study of trying to answer that question. And the second book, a sequel to Driver's Ed for the Brain, is called Growth Rings. And it, its subtitle is Becoming the Person You Were Meant to Be. And I don't know, want to dwell too much on any individual book, but then this third part of the three books are all taught by a fictitious doctor named Dr. Freda. Dr. Freda is an Americanized spelling of the word Dutch word peace. So Dr. Peace is the one that's teaching these three books. <laughs> the irony of that. <laughs> so Dr. Peace, uh, in the third book called Which Came First, The Soul or the Ego, okay. um, tries to answer how you can set up a family situation that further prevents the need to resort to other things that are unhealthy because of the, all the natural highs that are available. Yeah. That's great. So within all the change that you've seen, right? Because, I mean, you're talking about, you said 1996. I, was, I wasn't I was even born in 1986, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the transition of psychology between now and then, it's tremendous. Like even being a, 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 a CADC now, right? You can't right. do, you can't teach about substance abuse without CADC or, mm-hmm. or, or, or having, back then you can just, you know, all right, you, you used there to were be, no rules. You used there to be rules. an alcoholic. Like, here you go. Like, come over here and, and talk yes. to everybody about it. Um, have you seen growth w- within um, the prevention, right? Because you talk about being preventative. Like, like, where are you excited about it? Where are you not excited about with some of those things? Okay, thank you. Um, I had the privilege of being involved for the last 40 years in a whole variety of schools of thought of psychology. For example, I was trained in depth on the Rorschach, the inkblot test, and other uh, other pro- uh, projective tests like that. And soon, even before I graduated, they started to fall out of favor. But I, I've uh, been able to be in touch with you know, that previous generation of uh, psychologists and uh, of course, positive psychology has become a, a big trend, mm-hmm. and uh, spirituality has become accepted as part of the healing process. A lot of uh, wonderful things. I should mention, I hope I'm not getting too far off of your question, but uh, I've written a total of seven books, all trying to flesh out connectedness theory, basically. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I invented that game when I was with Juvenile Corrections. It uh, is designed to help a young person see that by developing their character traits internally, plus putting a support team around themselves, helps them reach happy and successful adulthood and prevents them from getting driven back into unhealthy behaviors and detention and prison and so forth. Right. And uh, excuse me, go ahead. So what, what, what is this game? Because it's like a board game? Yes, yeah, like a board game. It looks like a football field. 
Okay, that's great. Because, I, I mean, I, I kind of think that of my own. Like, when I play with my kids, like, we play, play the game of life. Mm-hmm. So I think playing these games, and I love board games, like card games, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, these are teaching them how to go through life. Exactly. And they get to make the decisions, and they get to have, like, tangible things and decide what to do with money or kids and stuff. And so I'm, so this is what I, I'm thinking, like, with your game. Like, is this kind of how what this is shaped like? Yes, very okay. much so. And uh, a person could look at it, uh, sample a little bit by on my website under uh, – Youth support team game. Youth support game. Youth I, support I ended up team. finding it because you have a video at uh, belovedcommunityinstitute.org. Yes, let me tell you about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> about five years ago, as I was being given the opportunity to teach at BSU, I was reconnected with a former colleague of Martin Luther King Jr. He's still alive. He's 90 now. Wow. His name is... Virgil Wood lives in Houston. He had helped organize the March on Washington and a Harvard graduate and so forth. <clears throat> he said, remember that old book, uh, Sun is Always Shining? He said, would you reprint that with my endorsement as a movement to revive what Dr. King had stood for 50 years after his death to help heal the soul of America? Wow. And I said, wow, what a privilege. And uh, he's actually been a mentor for me since that time and encouraged me to produce these other books. And that website, belovedcommunityinitiative.org, if you click under Early Collaborators, you'll see about a dozen of us. And if you click on each picture, there's about a one-page synopsis of what they're contributing to this movement. Then he asked us to make about a 45-minute video of what we bring to the table. And so anyway, that's yeah. that lengthy video that both of you sampled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's where you, you show part of um, the game you created. You also have this uh, like chair, stool, yeah. uh, the ones that like my, my kids are always sitting on one of those because they're taller, <laughs> they're rounded, mm-hmm. um, three-legged or four-legged. Um, but I'll let you talk a little bit about that because I thought okay. that was very interesting. And for the listener, if you go to my website under videos, there's a picture of the stool and about a three-minute explanation. I made this when I was at Juvenile Corrections also to exemplify the fact that the individual sits within the family, which sits within the community. However, if we can raise that whole social system up on four legs, the resiliency and the creativity and the cooperation are greatly enhanced and those three legs the the physical stool has three legs but there's four that i'll talk about the first one is the biological such as meds or exercise nutrition and so forth the second is the social listening to each other uh, you know decreasing bullying things along those lines the psychological education plus self-esteem and so forth the fourth leg is the invisible one, it's the spiritual, and it's what's underneath holding everything up. Mm. And so anyway, it's a biosocial, psychological, spiritual enhancement of the individual, family, and community. And that is a physical representation of a comprehensive training program that is kind of my main focus now when I'm not, uh, it's my main hobby that hopefully will become so like your My, pillars, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Like that's what your pillars. Like, like that's kind of what you truly believe. Like oh, exactly. Ultimately, yes. 
make a, a healthy human be successful. That's right. And so I put it into a training program called Roots and Branches. And it's an everyday hero training program to strengthen first the individual and then the family and then the community. And this is the manual that I know the listeners can't see. And two of the books, Driver's Ed for the Brain and Growth Rings, are embedded in that. Oh, wow. And, and for those who are listening, if you are interested in, in, in some of these books, reach out to Amy and I, and we will get one of those for you. And we'll put them on our website, we'll also a link that. to the, the website that, that he's talked about. So Absolutely. This is all really good information. I did kind of want to go back to that game. Sure. Because <laughs> I'm really interested in, because I work with adolescents, and I'm like, how can I get them to get past what they're, like statistically, what they're set up for? So how do we break the chain? How do we get them? Like, I'm working so hard. Because we're past the preventative with them, right? Like, exactly. they're, like, emerge. Yes. But, I mean, they're so resilient that there's there's a chance for them. And that's kind of why I choose this field, because I feel like there's hope. Oh, yes. And so I'm like, they're like sponges. Like, we can we can change the path, right? So Or we can get them through instead of, like, going off either side of that road you talk about. So, like, this game that you're talking about, um, like... Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? And like, what are you tapping into like psychologically in the brain? Like, how are you disconnecting or rewiring them to, to get it, to have that aha moment? Like, oh, I don't have to live over here or over here. I can actually just make my own way and be successful and be centered and spiritually and all that stuff. Super question. And I'm going to then tell you my big dream that is kind of a community embodiment of the game. That Great. may or may not happen in my lifetime. <laughs> um, the game is based on the 40 developmental assets by the Search Institute in Minneapolis, where they've identified 20 things for internal development, courage, persistence, caring, and so forth, and 20 community-based external assets, like are there caring neighbors, is the school a positive environment, uh, many things to do with the parents. And the more of those 40 you have, the less likely you are to be interested in uh, things that are unhealthy. There's, mm -hmm. You're involved with so many positive things. You're surrounded by people who, who care. And so that's why in the third portion of Roots and Branches, they are actually creating their own support team to uh, find mentors in designated realms such as recreation, uh, vocation, schooling, neighborhood, faith, community, and so forth. So it kind of in like empowers them to do this on their own, like so they so they have more control and they have like the. And I guess the way I see it is, is it's a structure. It's almost like a roadmap to, you know, a lot of the people that the kids that we work with don't have the parents that created those values. They didn't there have those the, the four pillars yes, that we're talking right. about. Mm -hmm. So in some sense, this game provides them with the visual understanding of listen like these are some of the things that perhaps should have been ingrained in you but they're not but now consciously we're trying to give you the resources the understanding to say look or the controller or the, a yeah bit more. because ultimately if we help this individual what we're doing is helping their own kids and and and, and, and so on right so that it does become preventative is that the, are we getting it? Are we, oh, <laughs> are we putting this together, right? <laughs> yes, excellent. Okay. And uh, let's see, what was I going to say about that? Oh, uh, as you go through life, you discover things about yourself. 
and uh, everybody has talents to share. And anyway, one of the talents that I have discovered about myself is being able to put perhaps nebulous concepts into a concrete object lesson mm -hmm. so that uh, people already know these things, or I'm trying to help them know them even better. Right. Yes. I, so, and I, I get that from you, just like even so you, the little You're saying you can put something that is very explicit into a very implicit way of, of learning in, in some way, right? It's like tangible for people to, to utilize because I am the brain that if you tell me, read this book. Right. So he, he's good at dumbing down things for people <laughs> like, <laughs> so they can get dumb it. Dumb it down for me and believe me, I will be your best student. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yes. if you like are give me Harvard, like Harvard and all this, I'll get there. But, but, but you have to drop down to a level for me to understand, to, to, to grasp on. And I think that's – I love that idea of creating a game because when you have kids who are saying like, no, like that's crazy. My support, that's that's my drug dealer. Yeah, like, that's my plug. That's that's yeah. that's who's gonna keep me protected. To get him outside of that. And they do feel like that. Yes. Did you see that when you worked in the corrections, how they felt like their support system was also the biggest thing they feared? Yes, I'll give you an example that uh, all of these things are many of these things are included in the roots and branches training program. There's 26 steps. The first step is they identify someone in their community who they view as an everyday hero. Okay. And they circle adjectives that describe uh, that person. And I think what they're doing is identifying who they really want to be. Yeah. Step number two, and that's the last one I'll dwell on, is they have to identify an ancestor who they did not know who they think is an everyday hero. Wow. Now, a lot of... Uh, a lot of young people with tough backgrounds say they can't do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've talked with them, and they say, oh, my family's all been in prison. They're druggies. I'm adopted. I don't yeah. know anybody. Mm -hmm. Foster and so care, abused. You have to do a little digging. That's a, This is a challenging step for some. They may have to talk to Great Aunt Mabel or something. And anyway, they find someone in their ancestry, and I coach them by saying, the fact that you're alive means that there's been a lot of generations of survivors. We've got to find oh. somebody in there. And so when they do, the unspoken message is, I have hero blood. And that switches that like, so when we're talking about like, uh, Stephen Evans said, you know, this whole idea of, you know, you become an alcoholic is because somebody switched, like turn that switch on on you, right? I think, it's crazy, but you can switch that hero, like switch onto them and be like, whoa, like I am not who I think I am, right? Like there is, to me- Or I'm not who people told me I was gonna be or yeah, supposed as to you, be. Yeah, as you're speaking about this, I've always had this connection with my grandfather who I probably met maybe, maybe, I mean, obviously I, he passed away when I was like three or four. So it, I don't really have like the visual to say, yeah, that's 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 who he was. But I've always had this amazing connection with him. And his name was Moises. That's why I go by Mo. I switched my name to him mm. because there was just, I call it good juju, right? Because at the time <laughs> I was like, I don't know, but it's good juju. Everything like the 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 adjectives or whatever it is to describe who he was is what I wanted to become. Mm. And it, it kind of goes back to what you're saying is once I found that connection, 
I believed it that wow. I could become that. Yeah, and then wonderful. you just like manifest it. it, it and yeah. I believe totally in like manifesting. Like, <laughs> but without that connection, I don't think I would have been like, yeah, like yeah, I can do it. Right. It's that connection that you you had. Yeah, and you that's felt. amazing. Uh, the third book of the Dr. Freitas series, which came first, the soul or the ego, uh-huh. uses the egg metaphor. And our egg shell is our self-concept, who we think we are. Interestingly enough, it sounds like ego egg. <laughs> the, the, yolk, ego. <laughs> the yolk or the uh, packet of potentials is our true self. Uh-huh. And there comes times when our true self, nourished by other people, uh, get to the point where their old self doesn't fit anymore. And that's a big part of depression where you don't feel like who you are can continue. But it's often a point of both crisis and opportunity because that's when the egg starts to wobble and the instinct is to, uh, with support, break through that. And the true self is more uh, accessible to yourself, the ego or the egg shell starts to break away so which one is it which came first (laughs) 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 now i want to know it it definitely is you have to get the book you have to get the book we have to get the book yeah i wish i would have been more prepared because i like all this stuff is like whoa wow Ah. like i'm so excited i wish i was i wish i would have read all this stuff and been more prepared i'll have to send a copy of the game home with you to uh, try (laughs) with whoever you'd like yeah no i'm really excited i i um, I did have a question um, about this uh, this game in adolescence because I'm so passionate about mental health and and trying to get kids to believe that they ha- they can be more than what they say people tell them they are or they don't have to feel so worthless because I you know I, I work with kids that are suicidal at a very young age and they're so impulsive they have no idea what they're doing and it's terrifying as a parent a mother a nurse you know, just a healthcare professional, um, a human. And these kids come and they're just so resistant because they really are that low. So when you, when you try to approach people with these, these programs and these games, um, for kids that are just resistant, what, what's your best advice for people that are parents or, um, foster parents, adopted parents, um, especially if they're like me who I don't want to read. No, don't give me a book. Yeah. So what, right. what's your best advice to like kind of, um, increase their willingness? Yes. Now, really super questions. Uh, the best way is to enhance the health of the loved one or the caregiver, because the more in touch you are with your own health, the more you actually see life more clearly and you can thereby see the strengths in the other person, let's say the young person, mm-hmm. in a way that you can't fake. You can fake seeing the good in people at a low mood state, but it doesn't have the impact that it has when you are at a higher level of health and can actually see more deeply unconsciously. You can actually uh, connect with that other soul. And when you see it, they can feel it. And when they feel it, they start to be able to see it, just like Mo's experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I and I do like I, I love all that energy stuff. And, yeah. And I always try to like talk to people about like you can't pour from an empty cup. So all this is really good. I know we got to get going. Yeah, here we got to go. I have one question, okay? <laughs> and I know that, and just maybe it's just for me because I don't know if anyone picked up, but I want to go back to 
you know, you can't, you come back from, from, from Europe and you land this job at the, at the prison, you fall into depression. Is that because you cannot do what you love the most based on it wasn't accepted? So you're, you're kind of like stranded and saying, well, well, if I can't do this, then, then what am I here for? Right. Yes. And, and so is what, how did you get out of that eventually? I should mention part of the struggle was uh, the therapy mode of the day for sex offenders was the therapists before going into the room with the sex offenders working themselves up into a frenzy um, saying, I hate you, you know, you're scum to me, and just, you know, just uh, trying to get in there to be in a confrontational state of mind. And that seems so out of sync with what I believed. And uh, anyway... So you- so you were saying that, like back then, right? They would kind of try to match who, who they were going to go and and be around. I know they felt they had to prepare themselves to be confrontational. Oh, okay. Wow. Oppositional. The, yeah. That's that's versus, just a, that's their mindset. Providing a a very safe environment, graceful environment to be able to produce a good result. Kind of the opposite of motivational interviewing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you faced a lot of conflict, oh, yes. a lot of opposition that would drain me. It's yeah. exhausting. I work it. We work in this field. Yeah. So, uh, so is it's, it's that same, you go back to like self, like feeling yourself mm-hmm. with like confidence and like self love mm-hmm. and self care so that you can, and, and remember what the goal is and like what you're intending to do and understanding on the other side of the fence. Is that what it Yes. Yeah. And, and I really admire people who, are able to work in prisons. It just, uh, I think people need to recognize that it's not everybody can be healthy while working in a prison. Yeah. I mean, I had a little had, bit of experience uh-huh. working with, um, well, we work with Jane. death row, uh, oh, yeah. inmates. And when I talk about it, people have this kind of sort of like, it's almost like they built themselves to, to get angry about, uh, death row inmates. And I'm like, wow, like, obviously like, humans do what they do for a reason and if if we don't see that then we're going to make it worse mm-hmm. the idea is not to shame them to guilt them the idea is to to help them um and i love the idea of i think i would have been depressed too who, who wouldn't be when everything about the environment who you work with says look go against all your values in life go for it right like that, that shuts down everything like the mm-hmm. spirit like you're almost like handicap. I almost feel like a lot of people do feel this way when they go to their jobs on their daily day jobs and say, mm-hmm. I don't believe what I'm doing, but it pays the bills. Mm-hmm. But they're just so like crippled by it crippled. and they hate it. And their, yeah. their life is so full of yeah. negativity and it's chaos and dysfunction. I used to live like that yeah. and I can't anymore. So I, and I know like what we do here, like we're so passionate about it. Like, yeah. We keep coming back to it and I And like, we created this podcast because of that. Because mm-hmm. we were in a position that we're like, I really don't believe in this. But and, this is what I do believe in. But this is what I do believe. In order to, to, to do what we want to do, we have to enhance ourselves as a human being to be able to then completely modify, transform the system. Because otherwise we then just become complacent and we're not made for that. We're I'm not, not made, for, made that. for that. No, no. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you came. I can't wait to reach out for more resources for myself. 
I want I want more people to hear about the things that you have to offer. I like. Do you have a private a practice? I've always I've never I, I don't know if you if you do or don't, but I would just wonder that. Solely, my private practice now is doing those designated examinations. That you've that is how we met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to do uh, counseling and lots of uh, you know over the years thousands of psychological evaluations, but uh, this is my passion now. But to what pays the bills is the uh, designated examination. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you're like you're like an Idaho icon, and you know so many, yeah. so many. You've had so many experiences over time. Like I'm so kind of envious of that. I, I'm never going to be able to get people And having you sit here for people to connect the dots with you, like to me, that's what brings me joy. To bring in people here who, on a daily day, I. I, I, I might have seen you like a thousand times and talked about uh, all these patients, but I don't I don't get this. I don't I don't I don't get to know the person. So I am I'm, we're so thankful for that you would be here uh, and talk more about what you do because you're you've done so much. Holy moly! Like we can write a, uh, we can make a movie out of you. Literally. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's sounds... literally writing books, Mal. Yeah, well, he's yeah, there. but you know, just you know, <laughs> just uh, we need to cherish what we got in front of us. This community has. A lot to give really? and sometimes society the lack of exposure and don't allow us to like p- push through that uh, yeah and i like this opportunity that we're able to find like from all of our you know people in the past we get to like bring this together and hopefully like push it out so people don't forget where they came from and yes. how much how how far we've come yeah and any last any last here's here's a dream of mine I love Idaho, and I love all the, the whole connectedness theory just comes to play in Idaho in terms of nature and animals and wonderful people. I think it's close to one of the healthiest states in the nation now, and with these and other resources to enhance the natural health, it literally could be the healthiest place in the nation. And that's one of my passions. And there's other things we could talk about another time. Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to have you come back. Yeah. And we're so rural that if we make this very healthy, <laughs> nothing can touch us. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, right? It's crazy. The market's up. No one's moving here anymore. So we shut that down. Well, again, thank you for coming to our show and sharing with thank all our Thank you so much for having me. Um, I hope people reach out to you again. What's the best way to find you or listen to your your um information because you have audio right yeah what's the website they can go to again driversedforthebrain.com and we're going to put the audiobook at a real prominent place to find it of the things that we've produced so far the courses are on that same website under learning center you can log in and establish your own password and uh, they can sure email me at ryan halbert phd at gmail.com so we've given got all that yeah. information. No, and as, as you go as as you go out through this week on Monday. Yes, happy Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> slow down, connect with everything, not just work, people, your clients connect with nature. Slow down. Um, enjoy because Idaho is beautiful. Yes. So uh, join us next week. We have uh, a follow-up. Uh, oh no, that's, that's that's in two weeks, right? Yes. So, next week we're going live. We're going live next week. We're actually gonna have uh, a our, U- producer. our producer. We're just gonna do a YouTube 
and we're going to talk about uh, the 14th episode. Uh, it means a lot to us just because of where we started, and we're so excited. Thank you for joining us. Reach out to us or to Dr. Holbrook for more information on connectivity. Connectedness. Day. Connectedness. There you go. <laughs> we're going to get it right one day. Right. <laughs> Find more on noteveryonegetsatrophy.com, and we're still working on our Instagram, but we'll be back next week. We can't wait to talk to you again. Adios.